It's been about three weeks, three Sabbaths since we've three weeks since we've been here. Um, Brenda and I have uh, have really enjoyed the time that we were away together. We had a great time. We appreciate your prayers. We know that uh, your prayers are the reason that the sun came out on Mackinac Island instead of the rain that was supposed to come. And that your prayers go with us as we traveled about, uh, oh, I guess my estimate is somewhere around 2,000 miles. I don't know if you know that Michigan is shaped like a mitten, but it is. And we drove around the outside of the mitten. It's very cool. You ought to do it sometime. We had a really good time at our daughter's graduation. Our daughter, Carrie, graduated with her uh, master's degree um, at the beginning of our trip. And we hung around because um, a couple of weeks later, our daughter-in-law was graduating with her doctorate in audiology. And so we started in Michigan, drove up to the, to the Upper Peninsula, drove around the edge of Michigan, drove over to Cleveland, garden spot of the earth, and then stayed there for a couple of days and drove across Ohio until we got to Louisville, Kentucky, um, which, you know, if there were a place that I might move, that, that might be on my list. It's, it's a nice town. It's a really nice town. No suggestions to any of you. Stay right where you are. But uh, we had a really good time. Um, we got a chance to, uh, to sort of check up on you and see what was going on around the, the church online a little bit. Uh, Carlene posted, sermons, uh, posted her sister's sermon minutes after it was done, I think, on, uh, on YouTube because I, I watched it that afternoon. And uh, I appreciate uh, Pastor Dan and all that he did. I, I, I have uh, heard great comments about the good, good father and uh, the, the, what you shared with our church family. And I think gave that, that song some real depth of meaning for our church family. And uh, then last week, the celebration of having three of our young people up here to speak. Isn't that cool? Isn't it great when, if you were there, you know, kindergarten, Sabbath school teacher to see him standing up here? Telling you about Jesus, maybe repeating some of the words you gave to them. Isn't that amazing? It's, it is a blessing from God to see that happen and to watch them grow. Now, I want you to remember Logan because he's due in about 17 years to stand right here. Okay? So just be praying for him, be prepping for him because if any of those three boys is going to be up in front of you, that's the one. And I just want you to remember him now. As he, uh, as that looks like it's going to, as 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 his pastor, as I see it, his uh, his his mom and dad will be praying about it. But as I see it, that's the guy you're likely to see up front. I do want to do one more thing before I start preaching, and that's invite invite Becca up here one more time. So, Becca, would you uh, make your way up? It is uh, one of those things we do as a modern population that we regularly, when we make a major commitment, have some document. You saw I, I gave uh, to James and Jenny a, a document to sign and to their commitment and their covenant to their son. Well, this is Becca's baptismal certificate, and it is just a, a commemoration of today and of the events of today and just um, our way of saying officially welcome to the families. We're really glad to have you part of our family. Do you have any sermons that you want to share? Well, one of the last things she asked me at the, this morning was, do I have to say anything? 
I say enough for both of us. I have to go get something. We veil things. You've heard of a veiled threat, right? We, we hide things behind veils. Uh, veils are interesting. We use them in weddings. It's sort of that uh, blushing bride cover. A, a veil over a bride is one of those cool, interesting anticipations, you know. We know the bride. We've seen her before. But that revelation of lifting the veil is just still a special moment. In our culture today, as we're being introduced to to veils in other cultures, we're finding sometimes we feel a little threatened by veils. All of us have them. The Bible speaks about them. The, The sanctuary of God had one. And all of us have them. We use different things for veils. These are my cooler looking sunglasses. I have my regular-looking sunglasses, which stay on and are more comfortable than these, but these are cooler-looking, I think. I had a friend tell me about my sunglasses. He says, you always wear the same kind of sunglasses. Every time you go and buy sunglasses, you buy the same stupid-looking pair of sunglasses. Buy a different pair. So I bought these. I actually looked at the sunglasses that were opportunity to be chosen. I looked at them, and I said, which one would my friend think was cooler? I thought these. I haven't seen him to ask him, but I will. So do you think these are cooler or not? So now the question about you, from me to you is, as it always is when we throw our image out there, how do you feel about me? We veil ourselves for lots of reasons. We veil ourselves for fear. We veil ourselves to protect something. We veil ourselves sometimes between, behind anger, sometimes behind niceness sometimes behind education, but we wear lots of veils. We hide. Even though everybody knows we can be seen, we hide. This morning I want to talk about some veils in Scripture, specifically a veil that was worn by Moses, that the Apostle Paul declares to be a veil worn by the generations that follow. And so this morning we're going to talk about unveiling, and we're going to be finding our home in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. When one turns to the Lord, the veil is lifted. When one turns to the Lord, the veil is lifted. See, that's part of what scares us about turning to God, right? One of the things that scares us about being a part of the family of God, about following God, is that our veil is going to get lifted. People are going to see us for what we really are. People are going to... God, God might actually peel back the layer I feel most comfortable hiding behind. My tough guy veil. Or my cool guy veil. Or my funny guy veil. 
or my jock guy veil. Whichever one we happen to find our comfort from behind, God might just peel that baby back. In fact, we're kind of sure he will, right? And it makes us a little nervous about God. As we talk about this story today, as we look at this passage, the Apostle Paul writing to the Corinthians said, people's minds were hardened, and to this day, whenever the Old Covenant is being read, the same veil covers their mind so that they cannot understand the truth. He's saying that sometimes when we get ourselves hidden behind the veil, we can't actually even understand truth. We hide back there and we hide ourselves from understanding. We misunderstand things because we've dodged in behind the veil. He said that in in the first century, the Jewish people were not understanding the truth about God because their hearts were hardened and they were hiding behind the veil. Do you think you can be hardened by your veil? Yours personally, not theirs, but yours personally. Do you think... You can get behind the veil and get so accustomed to hiding behind the veil, you almost lose yourself back there. You almost lose your identity back there. You're you're so adept at playing it cool that you never play it real. That you're so adept at maintaining your status as the cool guy or as the jock guy or as the smart guy or as the the princess girl. You're so adept at being the person behind the veil that you're never actually able to get out. You end up trapped behind your own veil. And we start out as kids building these veils for our security and we end up as adults not knowing what else to do. Some of of us are here today and we're looking at ourselves thinking, oh man, I knew we'd bring this up sometime. We're recognizing that we've kind of been hiding for a long time. We've peeled off a couple of those masks, a couple of those veils have been lifted, but we still have some. And we like them. That's why we're keeping them. Because we like them. But have we been impersonating Elvis for so long we think we're Elvis? You know, are are we moonwalking around because Michael Jackson was cooler than me? Do you still show up with one glove and some purple socks? Is your identity your team? Is your identity that you're a, an A's fan? That you're a Raider fan? That you're a Steelers fan? That you're a Cowboys fan? What is your identity? Is your identity what you are, what you do, or is it truly who you are? I think we often hide behind veils. The scripture is saying that in the first century, there was a whole group of people who could not, they could not understand truth because they were hiding behind a veil that it turns out was placed in front of them 1500 B.C. A long time to be hiding. In Exodus chapter 34, we heard this, hear this story about Moses. It's where Paul is getting his information. It's where he's coming at this from. Exodus chapter 34, Moses has led the people out of Egypt. He's, uh, 
He's a middle-aged guy at this point. He's grown up among the Egyptians. He knows all about Egyptian culture and the language. And he's, he's actually in line to be a leader in Egypt when he kills an Egyptian, is discovered, and runs off. While he's hiding out there in the desert, God calls him to go back to Egypt, call the people out. If you don't remember the story, rent uh, the, the Ten Commandments. It'll fill you in on most of the gaps. This scene is missing from the story, however, the, the movie, I should say. Now it was when Moses came down from Mount Sinai. Now we understand he's been going up and down to Mount Sinai quite a bit. He goes to the top, he comes back, he goes to the top, he comes back, he goes to the top, he comes back. It's been going on for a while. Sometimes he stays up there as long as 40 days. In fact, this is one of those times. The top of Mount Sinai is just blowing smoke like a volcano. Every once in a while, the thing just shakes and an earthquake shakes the whole camp of the people. Every once in a while, God speaks out of the thunder over that mountain to the people, it's a little bit sketchy. Now, if you don't think it's a little bit sketchy, just think about it for a minute. What would it be like for you? What would it be like if you dragged your kid out there to go on a camping trip and the mountain you were camping next to started blowing smoke out of the top? Wouldn't you leave? You're expecting volcanic ash at any moment, right? If the earth starts to shake under you, don't you try to find a more stable place to hang out. If a voice starts coming out of the top of this mountain like thunder, are you just sitting back in your hammock saying, what a cool thing. Wow. Or might you be just a little, just a little nervous. You see, Israel has been brought out into the wilderness not just to learn some things, but to actually have the culture that they've been living in for 400 years flushed out of them. God is reestablishing his authority as the one and only God. And that's this big demo that's going on. That's what all the light show is about. That's what the smoke and mirrors is about. This is God trying to get their attention, trying to get the attention of three little kids, trying to get the attention of of a class full of kindergartners. Try to get the attention of a group of third graders. Imagine trying to get the attention of perhaps three million people at one time. What would you do? If you had the ability to shake the place a little bit, might you? If you had the ability to make smoke blow out of the top of a mountain, might you? If you had the ability to speak out of the thunder, might you? God got the attention of the people. And that's really what this business is about. Moses has been up on this mountain that's smoking and shaking and all this sort of stuff for 40 days. People are a little nervous about him coming back. And then he comes back. Now it was so when Moses came down from Mount Sinai and the two tablets of the testimony were in Moses' hand. By the way, this is the second group. Remember he came down the first time? They were having a party. He broke the tablets. This time when he goes up, God says, you cut some tablets out of the stone. He spends 40 days. The Bible says he writes on the stone this time. He said, you broke mine. You do it. I did the other ones. You're going to have to repair this job. So Moses comes down carrying the two tablets of stone down the mountain. Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone while he talked with them. Moses is glowing. Literally. And we talk about this. Oh, look. She's with child. Isn't she just glowing? Right? You know, we never say that about men. I have never in my entire life heard anybody say, oh, look at that guy. Isn't he just glowing? Of course, he'd probably be offended if you said that about him. Anyway. So what do you mean I'm glowing? Well, Moses came down the mountain looking like a light bulb glowing. 
Moses came down the mountain before PG&E, looking like there was an electric plug in his leg, glowing. Moses came down from the mountain, scary glowing. And the people are watching him and looking at him, and it's freaking them out a little bit. Now, you've got to remember the surroundings. The mountain, smoke. Voice of God, thunder. Earth, shaking every once in a while. And now the guy who's your leader comes walking down the mountain, and he looks like a 60-watt bulb. Would any of this disturb you? See, I read the things in Scripture, and I go, wow, and I, I, it just kind of blows my mind sometimes. And then I come, and I sit down at church, and I tell you about it, and you, most of you look at me like, yeah, it happens all the time. <laughs> yeah, I go in my garage, light the place up all by myself. You know, I need to light nightlight at home. I just pull my head out from under the blankets. No, you don't. This is not a normal thing that's going on. And it freaks them out just a little bit. Here's what the Bible says. Next verse. And, when, and so when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone. And they were what? Afraid to come near him. Would you put yourself in their place? We read these things. We read these passages in Scripture. We read through the Bible like, oh, yeah, it happens all the time around here. No, it doesn't. Remember the greater context of what's going on. They've been here. They've heard the voice of God themselves. And now their guy, Moses, who's been up on the top of this crazy looking hill for 40 days, comes down and he's glowing. So much so that they're like, mm, we'll stand over here. You, you just go ahead. Talk a little, little louder so we can stand back. They're afraid to come near him. Now we skip a verse, come down. And, met, and when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. Why is Moses hiding himself? Because he's scaring little kids. Moses is hiding himself legitimately because he's frightening the people. And in order for him to continue the conversation... He decides to put a veil over his face, not for his sake, but for theirs. Okay, not for his sake, but for theirs. But the Apostle Paul says these people, whenever they hear Moses, they don't hear Moses. They see the veil. Whenever Moses is read, they don't hear Moses. They see a veil and the veil has created a separation between them. That has hardened them, and they don't even understand the truth that's right in front of them. Don't even understand it. Second Corinthians chapter three, verse fifteen. To this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart. Is it still true? When somebody breaks out Exodus chapter 20 and starts reading it to you, when you get to that point somewhere in February and you're reading through the scriptures, you get to Exodus chapter 20 and you start reading those passages, you shall have no other gods before me. Do you kind of get a little bit of a step back feeling? Do you kind of feel yourself pull away when God starts laying out the thou shalt not covet? Thy neighbor's stuff. And he gives you the whole list. Honor thy father and thy mother. Does, it, does a little veil drop when you start hearing that? 
Is, it, is, is to this day still this day? Have we found ourselves painting the same kind of thing where, where when Moses begins to be read, we separate ourselves, we back up a little bit, we don't really want to engage, we're afraid that if we engage these things, it's going to cost us something. Sometimes it gets quiet in the church, it's always interesting. Jesus illustrates it this way. One of the ways the veil falls in front of your face, he illustrates this way. This is just one. There are others, and I'll get to some of those in a minute, but this is just one. One of the veils that falls over a person's face when they hear Moses read is the, I can do that veil. I got this covered. I I can do this. I can make that happen in my life all by myself. This is the story. And he was... And he also told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Have you heard of this before? Do you realize that is exactly how the world, the whole culture of the Western world looks at Christianity? Do you realize that is almost a definition of the culture in the Western world of Christianity right there? The, world, the, the Western world looks at Christianity and they, those are people who trust themselves that they are righteous and they view others with contempt. That's what the church projects to our neighbors. Kind of sad, isn't it? Kind of sad, isn't it? We've been putting this face on that is actually, that is actually hiding God from the people around us. Man, we need to pull this mask back, don't we? Jesus was speaking to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. These are the opposite ends of the poles as far as the Jewish people are concerned. Pharisees, those are the good guys, those are the white hats, those are the guys who are always righteous and always right. Tax collectors, this is not me, this is them. Tax collectors, they're on the other end of the pole. Those are the lowest of the low. They're, if you're a Jewish tax collector, you're on the bottom rung. You might not even be on the ladder. The only thing worse is for you to be a Samaritan tax collector. This is the worst of the worst. So he's got the, the polar opposites. Two men went up to pray. One was a Pharisee. One was a tax collector. They were the tax collectors don't pray. What are you talking about? He did this day. Two men went up to pray. One was a Pharisee. One was a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself. Now, I just, I just, I just, I just picture this guy. He's got, he's got his head covered. He's standing there. He's got his hands fully pulling the the, the edges of his garment over him, making a tent for his prayers, veiling himself. And he says to the God of the universe, thank you that I am not like other men. I'm awesome. I'm cool. I am righteous. I am altogether wonderful and beautiful. And everybody agrees with me about that, God. I am not, by the way, a swindler unjust, adulterer, or even like this tax collector over here. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all the things I get. God, you are or should be glad to have me. Because I'm awesome. Isn't that what this prayer says? 
He's saying, I am so good, God, you're right. you should be glad that I'm here. You should be happy that I'm part of the church. I'm telling you, I've been a pastor for over 30 years. I have found some people like this. Every once in a while, somebody comes into my office, and they're kind of telling me, you should be glad I'm here. And I always feel the same way. I wish you would leave. It's true. If you were planning to come visit me this week to tell me how glad I should be that you're here, please don't. It always gives me the same feeling. Always. This is still true of us today. Some of us, maybe most of us, perhaps all of us, have a little place, or maybe it's not as little, where we think, I'm pretty good. You know, I'm pretty darn good. Obviously, we also hide behind the mask of our insecurity by pushing this one out there, right? The second guy, the tax collector, was standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven. But he was beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. It's a short prayer. But it's an open heart. It's, God, I, I, I'm not good enough to even be talking to you. Thank you for being willing, being willing to listen to a guy like me, to the, to the likes of me. Thank you that I even have the opportunity to speak to you. All I can ask for in the, in the recognition of who I am and, and what I know my heart is like is your mercy. The Pharisee says, God, you should be glad I'm here. The tax collector says, I'm glad you let me come. Jesus says, I tell you, this man went out of the house justified rather than the other. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. He who humbles himself will be exalted. One of the veils we put up when we read Moses is the veil that Israel threw up the first time they heard about the requests of God. When Moses came down from the mountain, the stories in chapter 19 of Exodus, when he came down from the mountain and told them what God was requesting of them, what God demanded of them, when he told them all the things that God had in the covenant, you know what they said? All that the Lord says we will do. You know what that is? We got this. Not a question about their capability. Not a question about their ability. Not a question about whether or not they were able to do it. Just simply, we got this. Sure, no problem. There's not even a, with the blessing of God, with the help of God, in the strength of God, we'll be able to do this. Simply, we'll do this. Is it a bad thing for them to want to do it? So what's causing the veil? They're secure in their own skills. They're secure in their own ability. The insecurity of the tax collector was what what drove him to the heart of God and what lifted him from that pain. The only way he was going to be able to to feel release from the self-condemnation that was inside of him was to hand it over to God. 
and say, thank you for letting me come. I, I, I know I don't deserve it, but I'm glad to be here. That is an unveiled prayer. That's an unveiled relationship. There's not a lot of theological discussion here. There's not a lot of, I know this and I know that, I know that, the other thing. Neither of them is really described as knowing more than the other. It's simply the attitudes of their heart that's veiling or unveiling their experience. You get it? Is it still true? I think it's still true. I think there are still things we do that veil us from God. We, we, we have this interesting tradition in, in Christianity. I like it. But it also causes a problem. We have the tradition of dressing up for church. Now I know this church is not seen as a place where everybody comes dressed up. I'm good with that. I like that actually. In fact, a part of me thinks we'd be safer in our jeans and t-shirts because we get up in the morning and we clean ourselves and we shave ourselves and we come down and we think we are somehow more presentable to God because of what we're wearing. we're not we just dressed up the pig that's all he's still a pig now I can't, I, like I said I kind of like seeing you all spiffy and clean but I think sometimes we use it as a way to deceive ourselves about who we really are. So when we're getting ready and we're shaving or cleaning ourselves all up and we're getting ourselves all spiffy, if we could just look in the mirror before we put our shirt on and say, yes, same fat guy that was there yesterday. (laughs) And just really come to grips with what we're bringing to God is a broken vessel. Because only in the recognition of our brokenness do we have the opportunity for repair and healing. When Moses is red, there's still a veil. And it it's so darkens things that they don't even understand. You know how the Ten Commandments start? You know what the, the very first statement in the Ten Commandments is? I am the God who brought you out of Egypt. The very first statement in the commandments is a statement of redemption. It's a statement of authority. It's a proclamation of character. That God you saw active in Egypt, that's me. The one who rescued you and brought you guys safely through the desert, that's me. The one who brought you water when you needed it, who brought you security when you needed it, who brought you shade when you needed it, that's me. I'm that guy. Don't have any other gods before me. There aren't any. It'd be kind of dumb for you to make one up. Don't don't make an idol to me or or anything else because if you make an idol of me, you will lessen me to something you can manage. You don't want to be able to manage me. And, And don't be a fake. 
don't, don't take my name in vain, pretending you're a follower of mine. Oh, by the way, I'm planning to spend some time with you every week. Hang out with me every seventh day. You and me hanging out together. It'll be good for you. I'll love it. By the way, treat your friends and family and neighbors well. Don't steal from them, lie to them, commit adultery. Don't do things that will damage that relationship. Because your, your, your whole world will be better if you do what I'm about to share with you. See, the principles that lie behind all of this aren't about God controlling anything. They're about God blessing us. Simple as that. But if the veil that falls over your eyes is a veil of I have to do these things and get them right, it becomes a fear-based relationship and you're not in it to connect with Him you're in it to manipulate him. If we're all trying to get it straight and get it right all the time, we're in it to manipulate the behavior of the Father. We're in it to make him like us better, make him get us into heaven, protect ourselves from hellfire, whatever the reason we're doing it, we're in it to manipulate the heavens. We're in it to manipulate God. And in reality, he's saying, I'm showing you some things that will help you out. Just listen. These will help you out. In Galatians chapter 3, the law is called a tutor, and I couldn't think of a better example than Mr. Miyagi. It's an age issue, I'm sorry. If you're under 25, Netflix, this will be helpful to you. The law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified. Paid defense. Right? You guys remember paint the fence? Wax the car. Wax on. Wax off. Wax on. Wax off. No! Wax on. Wax off. If you haven't seen the movie, this all just disturbed you, right? <laughs> Mr. Miyagi would whack him on the forehead. Tell him, no, 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 no. Paint the fence. He didn't know what Mr. Miyagi was doing. All he, looked, all he felt like he was doing was manipulating his behavior. All he understood that Mr. Miyagi was doing was getting him to work for him. No help, no blessing, nothing that he told him. He said, I come to you so that you will teach me how to be a karate master like you. And he said, paint the fence. Wax the car. And the kid's like, come on. You're killing me. This is nothing to do with me learning how to, to, how to become a karate master. Shut up and paint the fence. And when he finally pulls the picture together and starts to instruct him on what he's doing, he only then understands that he was teaching him what his basic moves were, how to protect himself how to deflect, how to keep things away, how to stop somebody from hurting him. He didn't actually teach him at this point any aggressive moves. He simply taught him how to protect himself. Somebody else was trying to harm him. Paint the fence. Wax the car. You see, we don't have the brain power, we have to admit it, to understand God. 
We don't have the, 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 the cellular capacity to understand the crea- what the Creator's about when He asks us to do something. And so if we're going to live in an unveiled experience with God, if we're going to step out and allow the tutorial behavior of God in our life, it's going to mean that we're going to surrender to His direction. It's going to mean that we're going to to actually have him lead our lives. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 says the ultimate unveiling of God was Jesus himself. The ultimate unveiling of the heart of God was a man who walked on the planet and everywhere he went, he cared about people, he loved people, he healed people, he touched their lives. When he corrected someone, even strongly, it was never for his own good, but for theirs. And God kept speaking through him. You're a parent. You understand what that's like. Which of you, if your child asked for bread, would give him a stone? If he asked for fish, would you give him a snake? Of course you wouldn't. And if you, humans, messed up and corrupted as you are, would do that for your children, how much more? Is your heavenly father trying to bless you? You see, the bottom line issue of all of history and all of scripture is one thing. Can God be trusted? And the veil that falls over us between us and God is a veil of distrust. And when he challenges us to follow after him, are we or are we not going to trust him? Step forward with the challenge. Move into what he's asking us to move into. Move away from what he's asking us to move away from. That's it. And in that experience, all we, with our faces unveiled, will be able to see clearly the heart of our God. Let's pray.